back to March of last year when we're fresh to the lockdown business and gradually getting used to this whole virus situation. I'm sure we all remember the countless forwarded messages, phone conversations, Reddit posts, and even news reports declaring that the coronavirus was, in fact, a bioweapon. Painstakingly engineered and mercilessly unleashed upon the world. This was, of course, proven to be a conspiracy theory, but one cannot help but wonder, if we were to have a bioweapon attack today, what would it be like? How do bioweapons even work? Well, you don't need to wonder much longer, because we will answer all these questions and many more in today's episode of Biomuch. The inventor of the nuclear bomb was a theoretical physicist named Robert Oppenheimer. On July 16, 1945, when he witnessed the first detonation of a nuclear bomb, he quoted a line from, of all sources, the Hindu scripture known as the Bhagavad Gita. Looking at his own invention in action, he said, and I quote, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Welcome to episode 2 of Biomuch, a weekly podcast where we break down some of the biggest ideas in biology. I'm your host Mraganka, resident bionerd and genetics enthusiast. As part of our ongoing deep dive into COVID's supervillain origin story and subsequent rise to world domination, our episode today is about bioweapons. So without wasting any more time, let's get into it. First things first, what is a bioweapon? According to the WHO, biological weapons are microorganisms like viruses, bacteria, fungi or other toxins that are produced and released deliberately to cause disease and death in humans, animals or plants. They are a subset of a larger class of weapons that are called weapons of mass destruction and these include chemical, nuclear, and radiological weapons. The WHO also says that the use of biological agents is a serious problem, and the risk of using these agents in a bioterrorist attack is increasing. So make no mistake, folks, bioweapons are up in the big leagues. Now, while this may be sounding a bit sci-fi to you, diseases and biological toxins have been used as weapons of war throughout recorded history, from at least as early as the biblical times to the present day. The history of bioweapons use is a long and gory one, but let's take a brief dive into the timeline of bioweapons use, just to get some more perspective. The first known use of bioweapons dates back to 600 BC, during the first sacred war of Greece. During the siege of Crissa, a dude called Solon poisoned the water source with a herb called hellebore. The leaves, stems and roots of this herb are all poisonous. Jump ahead to the year 1155. The emperor Barbarossa poisoned water wells with human bodies in Tortona, Italy. In 1495, 
the Spanish actually mixed wine with the blood of leprosy patients to sell to their French foes in Naples. Then in 1763, the British distributed blankets from smallpox patients to Native Americans. Closer to recent times during World War I, the German and the French used glanders and anthrax. During World War II, the Japanese used plague, anthrax and other diseases. And from 1980 to 1988, Iraq used mustard gas, sarin gas and tabin during the Persian Gulf War. And these are just some highlights from the past centuries. To see a more complete timeline, I recommend you read a paper called Biological Warfare and Bioterrorism, a Historical Review. You'll find this on the National Institute of Health website. So, we've already set some things straight. Bioweapons are cruel, creative, and very dangerous. Also, they are diverse. They have been around forever and they have been used by more governments and organizations than we'd have expected. A very reasonable question at this point would be, how do bioweapons work and how are they produced? Luckily for us, the Federation of American Scientists has got us covered. While their report called Intro to Bioweapons is really long and detailed, I will do what I do best and give you guys the most important highlights. First of all, the way a bioweapon is used depends on several factors, such as the agent itself, how it's prepared, how durable it is in certain environments, and of course, how it spreads. For example, some agents spread through contact and direct infection, while others spread through food and water. Secondly, there are some features that set bioweapons apart from other weapons of mass destruction and make them all the more unique and dangerous. First of all, bioweapons may not be immediately detectable. As you all probably know, many diseases have an incubation period before the symptoms actually set in. Compare this with other weapons and the difference is pretty much in your face. You can hardly be so stealthy with a nuclear bomb. Another boss trait of bioweapons is the fact that once the deed is done, the effects of an attack can continue till long after. In the case of infectious diseases, the agent will keep spreading and causing more and more damage, even after the initial attack. The victims are all weapons in a way, I suppose. But wait, wait, hold up. Let's drop the textbook, am I right? Let us really get down in the trenches, or in the lab in this case. Imagine if you and I were to make a bioweapon. How exactly would we go about this? Before we get to wreaking our havoc, it's time for me to tell you another story.
When I was much younger and in creative writing class, we read a story called The Greatest Invention by Lord Dunsey. The story starts with the narrator describing an interaction he had with a stranger during his travels. One of the opening lines of their interaction is really important. And well, I'll just read it out to you now. We aimed at the mastery of the whole Caribbean, he said. And don't believe that because we are a little country, we could not have succeeded. War is no longer a matter of armies. It depends on the intelligence of scientists. And we had a scientist who, as I have since proved, had no rival west of the Atlantic. End quote. Further along in their interaction, the other man says, and I quote, Once, if a nation had 12 battleships, it was a great power and we could only obey. But what if we let loose a plague capable of devastating whole nations? But that is not all. Other nations know something of germ warfare. We looked for something more, a new, a deadly germ. And we had the man who could give us that, Cara Sierra. End quote. Now, while I wish I could just read the entire story to you, I'll summarize and explain what happens next. The stranger continues to tell the narrator of this genius scientist, Cara Sierra, who had been enlisted to create a bioweapon to dominate the entire Caribbean. Cara Sierra was ambitious, devoted, and incredibly intelligent. But instead of doing what he was supposed to, Cara Sierra obsessively began his own project. Even when he was threatened with execution, Cara Sierra did not abandon his work. Instead of building a weapon, Cara Sierra made what the stranger described as, quote, the most wonderful invention ever achieved by man. What was this invention, you ask? The greatest invention was a single blade of grass, alive and real in every way, yet artificially manufactured. When he showed the stranger what he had created, the other man asked, But what is the use of that? To which Cara Sierra said, I do not work for use, but for wonder. The man continued, It will be wonderful when we dominate the Caribbean, perhaps even the world. And Cara Sierra simply responded, It is far more wonderful to have made a blade of grass. When the man, his superior, said he must continue his work for the state now, Cara Sierra laughed wildly and exclaimed, Not now that I can do this. I am going on to make flowers. In the end, of course, Cara Sierra was executed. I think it's pretty clear why I wanted to share this story. It makes you think, doesn't it? Science can create death and life. And if we had to choose, which would it be? I think Cara Sierra's idea is at the heart of every person who loves science. Wonder, passion and creativity. Biology is literally the science of life, so the very idea of bioweapons seems like an oxymoron, a cruel joke, even a corruption. But we are not Cara Sierra in this scenario, so let's get back to building a bioweapon. First step, choosing and acquiring our pathogen or agent. While choosing this agent, we need to be careful about what characteristics we want 
depending on the attack that we want to carry out. For example, the agent's pathogenicity or how much of the agent can cause disease, its incubation period, its virulence, its transmissibility, lethality, and other illities. <laughs> we must also consider if the disease is treatable. Our pathogen could be acquired from the environment and then purified and concentrated, or it could be manufactured in a lab, like in the story we just heard. Step 2. Once we know what pathogen we need, it needs to be grown and multiplied in the appropriate conditions. We can also use genetic engineering to modify our pathogen so that it works better. For example, an agent could be modified to have a greater pathogenicity and a shorter incubation period, resulting in a more severe and fast-acting disease. Finally, step 3. Preparing the agent for delivery. Before delivery, we need to ensure that the agent is processed enough to survive and remain effective in the environment where it is being released, which is probably outside its optimal growing conditions. And that's it. We've done it. We've just made a bioweapon. This is a problem. The Federation of American Scientists mentioned something called the dual-use problem. These procedures and techniques that we just used to create a bioweapon seemingly easily are used by legitimate researchers in their experiments and studies. This makes it hard to control if they are being used for malevolent or dangerous activities like building bioweapons. But surely there must be some laws and conventions that prevent bioweapons use and manufacture, right? There certainly are. The Geneva Protocol back in 1928 served to outlaw the first use of bioweapons between nations. Let me explain what first use means. Many of the states that ratified the protocol did so with second use reservations. This means that a Geneva Protocol party that is attacked with chemical or biological weapons retains the right to respond in kind. So, the Geneva Protocol essentially prevented states from being the first users of bioweapons in a transgression. It also didn't address production and possession of bioweapons, just their use. So, to supplement this protocol, the Biological Weapons Convention, or BWC, was established in 1972 and has been signed and ratified by most countries of the world. The BWC prevents parties from developing, producing, stockpiling or otherwise acquiring or retaining any microbial or biological agents which are not for prophylactic, protective or other peaceful purposes. It also prevents weapons, equipments or means of delivery designed to use such agents or toxins for hostile purposes or in armed conflict. The United States Congress also passed the Bioweapons Anti-Terrorism Act in 1989 to implement the BWC. This law applies the BWC's convent to countries and private citizens and criminalizes violations of the convention. 
it is so very important for us to remember that our science should be driven by creation rather than destruction. Wonder and progress and betterment rather than violence and power. Hopefully, bioweapons are consigned to sci-fi stories. And wild bioweapon conspiracies are just that, conspiracies. So that we can all partake in this, I'll be posting links to organizations that work for disarmament and non-proliferation of bioweapons on the BioMuch podcast Instagram page so that we can learn more about their work and its importance. I'll also include any other resources that I find. But before we go, I'd like to share one last story. When we read The Greatest Invention way back in creative writing class, our teacher told us to rewrite it with a new perspective. I wrote a short piece from the point of view of Cara Sierra, and I'd like to read it out for you. I'm holding it in my hand, and for the first time in weeks, months perhaps, I am alive. For it is life that I hold. It is life that I have made. I look at it, tender and green, but a single blade of grass, yet in it I see nations, I see people. Destroy, they said, destroy. But I, I have done quite the opposite. I have created. Those hands which once moved to obliterate whole nations have now given birth to something no less. A single blade of grass, yes, but I too am a single man. And though I have but one life, this is but one world. And now it seems that I can make it. I can make it whole again. And yet, destroy, they say, and when I will destroy not, I will be destroyed. So I stand. They speak, but I do not hear. My eyes have been closed, but oh, I see. I see meadows stretching to nations. For in my hand, I clutch tightly that little blade of grass. And I know I can make it much more. Death cannot stop me. For while I hold that blade of grass, I am become life. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I'm your host Mriganka and this is BioMuch. New episodes every Sunday. Follow us on Spotify and Instagram for updates. Stay safe, keep learning and don't forget, science is for everyone.